You'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians as we go back to the study, continuing that. We'll begin in chapter 2 today, Galatians chapter 2 with verse 1 through verse 10. You follow on the printed pages, I read aloud those 10 verses. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. What we've read in the first 10 verses of second chapter of Galatians is Paul's account of what many would call the most important church business meeting that has ever been held. It is Paul's account of what we read about in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, and you'll remember that and we'll refer to that several times a day. It is called or referred to by many as the Jerusalem Council or the Jerusalem Conference and was important about that it was the purity of the gospel message was what they were discussing. And the gospel message in its purity was established once and for all, forever, as the true everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is today. Had Paul not stood, had he not defended the gospel, then it could very likely wound up that Christianity would have become no more than a sect of Judaism and would not have spread rapidly like it has and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now go back to Galatians 2 as we think about it today. And I want to share with you some things about the Jerusalem conference that Paul is referring to. It is vitally important as to the heritage 
of all Christians. First of all, I want you to say something of the setting of the conference. In verse 1, the Bible says, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem. Now, you remember the first three years of Paul's ministry, he was quiet. He sort of went off into seclusion, and he studied and spent time with God, being taught, he said, by none other than God himself, as, as Jesus had called him to be an apostle, and he was taught by him in his private time. And that doesn't say that he did not talk to others, that he did not witness to others, but his ministry did not begin until after those three years. It doesn't mean he didn't do any public preaching, but he didn't do very much of it. The first three years of his Christian life were his spiritual training years where he became grounded and rooted in the truth of the gospel. He went down to Arabia, if you remember, and spent that time in seclusion. And he spent the three years there with God, learning and letting the Holy Spirit of God guide him and teach him and prepare him to his calling to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He then, after the three years of time of training, at the feet of the Lord himself, Paul spent 11 years in ministry. And as he spent those 11 years, he was preaching the gospel every place he went. And many times, as you'll look at the county space in the book of Acts, he was always stirring up something by his preaching, and folks would get angry with him, and they would run him out of town, almost stoning him, all of these kind of things. And he locked up, and he had just completed, at this time, his first missionary journey when that took place. In Acts chapter 14, Paul gives us a glowing report of the, what happened on that first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, it says, And when they were come, he had gathered the church together, they rehearsed or they shared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to many Gentiles. Now here's Paul and Barnabas coming back after a great work, a good tour of preaching the gospel. Many people were saved. Many churches were started. Many pastors were called. And, and, and then the work of God was opening up to the Gentiles like no one could have ever have imagined. The Bible tells us that Jesus came first for the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Paul even said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas had come back and they were so excited. Can you imagine that? Coming back from that first missionary journey and seeing so many folks come to faith in Christ, even though there were obstacles, even though there was competition and, and there were groups that were formed against them, God still 
help the gospel to flourish and many had come to faith many churches had been started and and many tr preachers had gone through a very quick training to, to start and, and pastor those churches and they come back and they're just they're on fire they're they're they, they say can you imagine folks we want to tell you about all the people that have been saved We've seen lives transformed. We've seen, we've seen homes put back together. We've seen marriages put back together. We've seen idols cast down. We've seen demons cast out. And we've seen diseases healed among the folks who believed. We've seen churches started. Folks, the gospel is flourishing among the Gentiles. And they're so excited about that. But then when you look in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised or become a Jew, after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. But salvation doesn't start on the outside and work to the inside, does it? It starts on the inside, and it influences the outside. It starts with a belief, with trusting Jesus in your heart and crowning him the king of your life and the Lord of your life, and then it begins to work on the outside. It changes your conduct. He changes your attitude. He changes your friends many times. He changes everything about you. You've become a new person in Christ Jesus. But it starts on the inside, and then it goes to the outside. And circumcision, becoming a Jew first, has nothing to do with becoming a believer and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with salvation. But these men were saying it is essential unto salvation. And we covered this a little bit in the first uh, couple of uh, sermons that we looked up but it looked at but it comes up again here in in this chapter it means that they had a big fight listen to what it says and there were therefore paul and barnabas had no small dissension and dispute dispute disputation i can't even say it with them now if they didn't have a small one it means they had a big one because it was a it was a tough meeting. But the Bible says in the middle of verse 2 of chapter 15 of Acts, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this very question. Now that's the setting for the Jerusalem council. A group had come up against them as they're telling about their missionary journey. They made false accusations. They're teaching falsehoods and telling that you got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And they're, they're talking about Gentiles. They're talking about me and you, that that has to come first. And, and Paul takes sides there. He, he's offended by that, and he wants to set the record straight. In the middle of verse 2, they told him that they needed to go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders and to settle that matter, settle that question once and for all. 
And all of that, as I said, is the setting of the conference in Jerusalem, and it's called for the purpose of settling a debate. What does a person have to do to be saved? Now, that's already been well established in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been settled in, in the teaching and the writings of the Apostle Paul, but now he's called on to defend that. But I want you to notice that Paul is not at all intimidated by these false teachers. He stands his ground. I mean, uh, they come out of good training. They, they, they come with force, and they come with, with knowledge, and they're, they're really attacking him big time in his ministry. But he's not intimidated. Neither was he intimidated by James and Peter and John when he went to talk to them. Paul did not have to go and get their approval, but he did not have to go up there and let people vote on whether or not what he said was the truth. Paul did not have to go to Jerusalem to get some kind of approval of, of those that, and an affirmation for his ministry, but he went because God told him to. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't his desire. It wasn't his fight to fight. It wasn't his problem. But he says there one reason for revelation. Jesus told him to go. Paul says, I want you to know this one in this one church business meeting that is important to me. Now we see the setting of the conference. Here he goes. But the second thing, we need to understand the participants in this conference that he's talking about. There were four specific groups gathered together at the Jerusalem conference that are mentioned in the book of Galatians or in the book of Acts that tell us who was at the conference. Four groups. First, there were Paul and his comrades. His entourage were Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas was Paul's greatest friend. He was always defending Paul, standing with him. He was joining the church at Antioch. He stood with Paul. He was also a great encourager. His name was Joseph. Barnabas was his nickname, if you'll remember. Barnabas means son of encouragement. He got his nickname because he was that person always giving encouragement and helping others to, to walk. Titus was a full-blooded Gentile. He was obvious that Titus born again child of God because of his conversion, a true Christian. So here we are with Paul, Barnabas, and Titus representing the sake of the gospel what they were teaching, what they were preaching. There was a second group, a group identified in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9 as pillars of the church, pillars of the church. James, the half-brother of Jesus, not James the apostle. You remember he had been killed by sword in Acts chapter 12. Then there's a man by the name of Cephas. We know him better as Peter. He's known by Cephas or Peter or Simon in different places in the New Testament. 
John was there, this group of pillars. John, the gospel writer, the one who said he is the one loved by Jesus and never got over that all of the days of his life. Pillars of the church, James, Peter, and John. The first group, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus. Looks like a pretty good setup so far, doesn't it? But then there's the third group. They're simply identified as three times simply as apostles and elders. These would be the other apostles, other leaders in the church. This group was there. But here's the group I was referring to, the fourth group. Galatians 2, chapter 2, verse 4. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in. False brethren. Paul just identifies them as what they are. They're not true brethren. They're, they're not for real. They're false brethren. The word false lets us know that they were not born again. In other words, here are men who profess to be Christians. In reality, they have never come to faith in Christ. They don't have a relationship with him. They've never been born again. There's nothing changed about them. They're living after the dictates of their own hearts. A, a false brother one who gives a false message, false proclaims, or proclamations, I should say, as to the message of salvation. If you say it is Jesus plus anything to be saved, then you're a false person. These are the Judaizers that we talked about earlier in the study of Galatians. Those that said you had to become a Jew first before you could become a Christian. As a Jew, you had to continue to practice all of the rites and all of the things of Judaism in order to be a Christian. And those were the groups that were there. We see the setting of the conference. We see the groups that are there. And thirdly, you want to see the subject matter that they talked about. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2. And I went up to, by revelation, there it is, and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. The gospel. The subject was the gospel. Paul is telling people that their sins can be forgiven in the name of Jesus. Paul is telling them that Jesus shed his blood on the cross, died for their sins, that they could be cleansed of their sins, their sins washed away through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was preaching, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. The gospel Paul was preaching in Galatians 2 and verse 3, it says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. 
He says, no, that we, he's making that stand that what they talked about is this is what the gospel is. And I'm telling you, my proof is this one has said he does not have any need to be circumcised to become a Jew. They talked about circumcision and its role in the Christian faith. And then in verse 4, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. They talked about Christian liberty. They talked about the gospel. They talked about circumcision. And they talked about this Christian liberty. What does it mean to be saved, other words? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a child of God? What are the results of a person being saved? What, is there any difference in them? What does God call on them to do? As a Christian, am I to be enslaved to the law? Am I going to have to keep all the letter of the law? As a Christian, do I have to do everything that I'm taught to do in the, by the law? Do I have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, do all the do's and don't all the don'ts? Is there nothing more to the Christian life than what these guys are trying to say? Is there nothing more to the Christian life than just saying yes to the yeses and no to no's? Is there not anything else just keeping a set of rules? Paul says, no, that's not what it's about. The Christian life is not a slavery or a drudgery. The Christian life is one of freedom in Christ Jesus. It is exercising the freedom to walk with him, the freedom to trust him, the freedom to live in him, the freedom to have power over the things that you would have to be concerned about. The Christian life is a life of freedom in Christ Jesus, he says, the Holy Spirit of God sets us free. I don't have to live by any other person's mold. Aren't you thankful for that? I don't have to live by anybody else's mold. I don't have to fit in. I'm free to be Rick Evans in the energy and energized by the Holy Spirit of God as he teaches and he leads me. I cannot be someone else. I cannot be Stan Hurst. Thank God. I can't be Joseph. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to try to be Tim Jewell. Robin would tell me it wouldn't be worth it. I don't have to be somebody else. My life doesn't have to conform to a set of rules of, of what it is to be in the Christian faith. 
My life is to conform to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit working in me as, a, as an individual. Nobody had to vote for me to become a preacher. They voted that I had exemplified the call to be a preacher of the gospel. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I did not have to conform to any kind of rules or, or things in order to become a Christian. I had to simply say, Lord, I'm a Christ I mean I'm a sinner. I have I've failed you. I'm in need of forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried and you rose again today. Now living, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior. I had to do nothing else. From that point, he calls me to a life of service. He calls me to a life of obedience. He calls me to a life of preaching the gospel that he's called me to. But he didn't ask me to do any of those things in order to be saved. He has called me and led me of those things because I am saved there's a big difference you know we get our we get our things out of order you say well if you if you want to get saved you got to quit your drinking and your cussing let me tell you what if you'll trust Jesus he'll lead you to quit the drinking and the cussing if you'll invite him to come into your life, his Holy Spirit will teach you to quit your drinking and your cussing. I, I don't know why I'm just picking on drinking and cussing, but you got the point, right? He leads us out of those things. Does that mean we don't sin? Absolutely not. Every one of us sins. Paul never claimed. He said, of all the sinners, I'm the chiefest. Paul understood that problem that we have with the flesh. And it's not a bunch of rules and, and regulations. It's not getting all your ducks in a row. It's not going through this ritual and that ritual. It is simply by faith, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting his finished work on the cross, trusting his finished work over death, hell, and the grave, trusting him as the living Lord, trusting him as the one seated at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you, trusting him to change your heart, to change your life from the inside out. It doesn't work from the outside outside in that's the problem with even with a lot of Christians they want the changes to come from the outside in they make the decision they're not going to do this I'm not going to, I'm going to do that I'm not going to do that and, and they get their wants to and all these kind of things all mixed in it instead of just getting it the what did Paul do he sat at the feet of Jesus for those three years, he spent time with the Lord Jesus, growing in his understanding of the gospel, growing, grasping it. He did not back down ever. Why? Because he was absolutely sure he had been changed from the inside out. Jesus had changed his heart, and he walked with him and grew in Jesus and became a powerful presenter of the gospel, one who reached many with the gospel of Jesus because of his changed life. God doesn't say, now get saved, and all the ladies got to wear black, and all the men are going to wear dark trousers and white shirts, and all the women wear their hair up in a knot on the top of their head like a beehive, wearing no makeup. 
That's not the Christian life. That's legalism. The very thing Paul was fighting, the very thing he was accused of not doing and following was a life of legalistic living. Crossing T's, dotting I's, do's and the don'ts. Paul lived the life of freedom in Christ Jesus. If that had not been the case, he would have quit when the first town rose up against him and all of those of a different belief began to accuse him and wanted to shut him out. But no, he stayed true to the course. We have liberty, not legalism. We have liberty. The truth shall set you what? Free. If Jesus sets you free, you are freed. Indeed, you are free. And it's not a matter of legalism. It is a matter of faith and trusting him. And that's what they talked about. Legalism versus liberty in Christ Jesus. Peter gave his testimony. He gave his testimony how God told him to go down to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and share the gospel. And how Cornelius was wonderfully saved. Peter made that stand and stood with Paul. And then Paul and Barnabas gave their testimony and presented Titus as their test case. Look what God's done. Look at this man. He wasn't circumcised. And Jesus radically changed his life. And then James, he speaks at last in this, this, this meeting. He's the pastor of the church, you remember. He's the leader. He has the closing word. Isn't that neat that he got to do that as the pastor? He has the closing word. And when the dust settles, here's the outcome. Paul said there in Galatians 2, they added nothing to me. Wow. All that they put me through, all that they said, all that they challenged me with, they added nothing to me. And then he says, oh, but one thing. They told me that I needed to remember the poor. And Paul says, I received that. I was already doing it anyway. But that's the thing they were worried about. The thing they wanted to be sure is that doctrine and duty are never divorced. The only thing the church leadership said, we don't take odds with anything you've, have to, anything you've had to say. We're not appalled by any testimony you've given today. We, we, we're not ashamed of you in the least. Matter of fact, we stand with you in full agreement. The only thing we would caution you about, this is, what this is their advice. Listen, Paul, just make sure that you're always ministering where you go to the poor, to the needy, making sure that you're reaching out to them and, and helping meet their needs. And Paul says, I wasn't offended by that at all. I was already doing it. You see, that's part of the changed life. That's part of the changed heart. When you come to faith in Christ and he moves into your life and he gives you boldness, yes, he gives you freedom, but he gives you love. He gives you care. He gives you compassion for those around you. 
Oh, there's so many in our lives that need to know the compassion of Christ. But let me tell you how they'll know the compassion of Christ by experiencing the compassion of the followers of Christ. Do you have that? Do you have that? Do you get angry because of the way they're dressed? you get angry because of the way that they walk? Do you get, do you get angry because of the hairstyles? Do you get angry because of the people that don't have a job and they're standing on the corner and they're standing between the lanes as you drive your vehicle by and they're asking, I'm, I know some of it's fake, understand that. Don't misunderstand. I'm not giving approval of anything that's done in that behalf, in that regard. But let me tell you, what does your heart say when you see one who really needs the love of Christ, who really needs to be cared about, who really needs a helping hand? Doctrine and duty have never been divorced from each other by the word of God. Our belief must affect our behavior or it's just a lot of religion and nothing else let me tell you the sobering truth we are what we really believe we can give lip service all day long but what does your life say? What does your attitude say? What does your response say? I can stand here before you this morning. 2,000 years later. And let you know that our loving forefathers. Had a church business meeting. And the unanimous verdict of those who really counted was Jesus died for everyone's sins. Jesus was buried for everyone. And Jesus rose from the dead so that all might believe and come to faith. If you're brokenhearted, and perhaps your life has no purpose. And all of your plans have failed. And you feel like a failure. Maybe there's no direction in your life. You really don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're going to do. And you don't know how you're going to get there if you did. You just live day after day. Sometimes hour after hour in an existence of meaninglessness. Just let the punches come. Let fall what falls. Let be what be. What is. You have no purpose. No direction. Maybe you just feel like your life is just an existence. And it's meaningless. 
Can I tell you, Jesus loves you. He can change every bit of that because he has the power over life, death, hell, and the grave. He can set you free. He died for you. You can trust him this very morning as your Lord and Savior, and he will forgive you. He'll make you a member of God's eternal family. <laughs> God's eternal family. You know what that means? All God's children are going to live forever. And they're all part of his family. And he will make you a part of his family and give you faith and boldness and freedom to share your testimony. He will do that for you today. For you. And I've covered a lot of material. But the bottom line is, Paul says, I preach what I learned at the feet of God. I preach and I teach what he's taught me. And I do what he's called me to do. And the freedom that I know and the joy that I know and the life that I live you can have it too. You can know that you know that you know. You can have the forgiveness of God, the peace of mind and heart, and a purpose for everyday living. It's available in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Father, your word is truth without error. And when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, who was formerly a hellion, a persecutor of the church, who hated Christ and everyone who followed him and transformed him into a changed man, forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, taught at your feet the truths of your word and the gospel. Lord, if you can do that for him, there's not a person on the face of the earth that you can't do that for. Lord, there are folks listening, both in the building and elsewhere. Speak to their hearts today. In their troubled times, in their difficult circumstances, in the failures caused by their choices, help them to know there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's life, all in the person of Jesus. He doesn't ask us to change but to surrender. He doesn't ask us to do a lot of do's and don't do a lot of don'ts. 
but to give him our trust and our lives. And he will change us from the inside out. Have your way. Lord, if there's one here today that needs to settle this issue, this matter once and for all, help them to come forward today in the, in the service. Speak to their hearts. Draw them. Give them a peace, a calmness to make that commitment. Have your way in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.